Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Bottoming. Brendan and I are not experts in mental health, um, so if you need any support, here's some spaces to visit. The first one is Mind Out. You can find them at mindout.org.uk. Switchboard LGBT, and that's switchboard.lgbt. Samaritans, you can find them at samaritans.org. Mind Charity is mind.org.uk. The Calm Zone, and you can find them at thecalmzone.net. And for any support on sexual assault, you can go to the Survivors Trust at thesurvivorstrust.org. This episode comes with a content warning, and there'll be conversations around sexual assault and suicide. Nurture or hurture? I want you just to do like a sandwich. Oh, it's sandwich like a team the word. Thing. Yeah. Sure. Go on. Go on. <clears throat> Take two. <laughs> mm. uh, episode three. Nurture or hurture? Oh. oh, it works. It worked. Yeah. Um, we we've already recorded our, our terrible bits because we were so depressed before. We don't before. need to tell people that, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this episode has been been weighty oh. on our minds, but yeah. now. We've, now we're good. Now we're good. It's out of the way. Other episodes are going to be equally as awkward. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're going to be fun. Um, so nature here is about upbringing, uh-huh. childhood. Yeah, everyone's favorite um <laughs> favorite topic sure. of discussion. Yeah. Um, what you been up to? B me. There uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> um. I've done loads of baking this week Gorgeous. and the week before, stuck by my New Year's resolution. Mm-hmm. I feel fantastic. Made some gorgeous oatmeal and raisin cookies. They were delicious. I made a real crusty loaf. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Well, yeah. Um, and yeah, some, some, I made myself some birthday cupcakes. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, Brendan celebrated his birthday. I did. Yay! Yay! Another year older and <laughs> none the wiser as it goes. Um, I do feel a little bit wiser slash mm-hmm. um, less in the dark, which is good. Which is good. Yeah. Yeah. The birthday candles were blown out, but the lights, the lights sh- shone on. on. Shone on. Shone oh, bright. isn't that sweet? Um, yeah. What have you been up to, babe? Um, what have I been up to? Yeah, I was. I wasn't feeling too fab last episode actually. It'd been mm. a, it'd been a wee um wee few weeks. But yeah, I'm fine this week. Um I think leading up to this episode recording I was I was a little bit more nervous because of the topics that we're gonna be talking about. Uh-huh. But generally yeah, I'm fine. I've um I've been doing a lot of going home and not doing anything. Yeah. Which has been nice. So I've just been self care. Finishing work, going home, lying on my floor a lot. Oh, I love that. Um I've been back to the gym, I've got back into yoga as I said I was gonna do. Um, I've been cycling. I'm just, I'm feeling a lot more energetic. You're on it. Um, signed up to a park run, didn't we, babe? Oh, yes. Well, I've signed up to a park run near me. Uh-huh. Gonna We're going to try. We're going to try. <laughs> try and go before we record episodes. Yeah. It's only once every two weeks, so we could, I think we could do it. I, we can try. Yeah, we I probably won't get yeah, quick, quick times, but. <laughs> we'll give it a go. Yeah. And I'll probably be covered in vomit at the end, but. <laughs> it can be a luck. It could be a luck. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, this episode is gonna be talking about upbringing uh-huh. and some of the some of the tricky environments that LGBT people, um, not even just all people, um, can experience when they're coming out. Yeah. Um. While just simply trying to be. Shall we start with um just to contextualize mm-hmm. our conversations? I think it's important that we um yeah give some stats on the general LGBT community. In a Stonewall report titled LGBT Britain, Homes and Communities, released in June last year, um, they write, while many LGBT people are now able to open up about their sexual orientation and or gender identity um, and are supported by their family and friends, too many are still unable to be open with their family members and can face a lack of support. A concerning number of LGBT people experience domestic abuse within their own personal relationships. Mm-hmm. And that's something as well that's really overlooked. Yeah, 100%. Um, but it's super important. Um, for anyone that hasn't seen any of these reports, Stonewall released quite a few last year. Um, as Brendan said, focusing on different areas of the community. They're super, super interesting. Some are quite hopeful and quite nice to mm. read. Others, not so much, um, which just kind of reaffirms that there's still it's plenty more do. work to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in this report, they go on to say that encouragingly, four in five lesbian, gay, and bi people, so we're talking about 80%, um, are open about their sexual orientation to at least some of their family. Um, and this includes half of lesbian, gay, and bi people who feel able to be open to everyone in their family, which is, again, still not as great as it should be. Mm. Um, but it's getting there, I guess. Um, equally half of trans people feel able to be open about the gender identity to everyone in their family, which seems like quite a high number. But when you take into consideration stats in other areas yeah. um, and other things that trans people have to deal with, it is definitely, definitely not a fantastic number. And there's, that's where we, we should be putting a lot of our energy as, as LGBT community, LGB community at the moment. Yeah. And making sure that we're supporting our trans family. 100%. Childhood's a funny one, isn't it? Because people, you get some people that are like, oh, I wish I could go back to being, you know, 11 years old. And I, <laughs> I do says not. That? <laughs> Never have I ever thought that. Um, but thinking of the more positive aspects of it. Let's go. What were your favourite, give me like your top three 
TV shows as a kid? Top three TV shows. Um, X-Men cartoon was mm. a real big one. I mean, Love Storm, what fantastic hair. <laughs> Rogue, <laughs> iconic. Um, yeah, just loved, loved them all. Um, what else did I like? Power Rangers, loved Power Rangers as a kid. Um, and can you remember... I don't know why I remember this, but after school, I used to watch that show Raven, or like... As in that so? No, 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 oh. but I mean, I did like, <laughs> I did like that so, Raven. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did you say? Um, one of my favourite things was Saturday morning TV. I used to fucking love SMTV Live. Yeah. And then when SMTV Live changed to Ministry of Mayhem, and we got... Who I'm, I don't love Ant and Deck. Holly Willoughby. <laughs> Holly Willoughby. Who is such an angel. People give a shit all the time. She is such a beautiful woman. I love Holly Willoughby. An absolute pure soul. Yeah. And I, whenever I see her, you know, covering serious things on this morning <laughs> or watching a video or she posts something inspirational, I'm like, you are still the woman in my heart mm-hmm. that used to dress up as a maid <laughs> and kick a skateboard with cake on. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever remember Ministry no. of Mayhem? They'd always get a celebrity on and they'd put a cake on a skateboard and then the celebrity would kick the cake and they'd have to see who got the higher cake on the oh, huge wall. Oh, interesting. It was fantastic. And she'd come on with a trolley of cakes and they'd be like, Maybe Victoria Sponge, that, please. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, well, the consistency will make it fly. This is right up your street because it's bacon. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was the baker for that dinner. <laughs> um, one of my all-time favourites, as I mentioned in the Christmas app, is Rugrats. Oh, yes. I watched every single episode. We went to see the films, it, like, when they came out in the oh, cinema. the Wild Thornbury's crossover. Oh, my God. Oh, my the best. I like that. The games on, like, PlayStation. Oh, yes. Oh, the, sure, yeah. The absolute best. Yeah. Angelica, Cynthia, and Susie. Absolute queens. <laughs> Susie. Wisdom. Wisdom for days. She'd always be like, mm, come on. Come on now. Um, and what was my third favourite? Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, uh, yeah. I used to watch on Nickelodeon all mm-hmm. the time. My mum would watch it with me. We'd be like, especially the last series when it'd be on like, I mean, I feel like it was once a week, but it was probably every day and it was probably about two weeks long. <laughs> but it felt like a lifetime, the final series ending. And we're like, going from school and we put Nickelodeon on, we'd watch it. Yeah. Um, yeah, fantastic. I will say, yeah, I think I'm going to bump that Raven show I talked about. And... Uh, <laughs> Reintroduce Wild Thornbreeze because yeah. I really, really love Wild Thornbreeze. What was her sister called? Debbie. Debbie. Yeah. <laughs> Debbie Eliza. She was like Nigel. millennial before millennials were millennials. Oh God, she's like, um, oh yeah, she's just so fucking funny. Love her. Um, what was the what was the chimp called? Donnie. Yeah. No, Donnie was the brother. Oh, sorry. <laughs> and he'd be like, <laughs> <laughs> Donnie and. Um, <laughs> Darwin, the monkey, yeah. <laughs> Which I have only you now just realised that Darwin was named after the scientist. Oh, oh smart. Didn't, that was clever, I didn't know that at the he time. He wore that gorgeous vest, remember, the striped blue. <sighs> yeah. Oh, no. and that film, that film really got me. The crossover? No, just the Wild Zombies film. Oh. Really made me tear up. I don't remember that one. The target gets kidnapped and then she goes to that British school. What? what? Oh, it's so fantastic. And also, they up to the budget, clearly, because there's a lot more shading on the characters. <gasps> they had, like, 3D cars and stuff. Oh, I don't know if I like, I don't know. I'll send you, I'll send okay. you the link. It's, it's really good. Oh, no, I like Rugrats Go Wild. I think it was around the same time they did that. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll send it to you. And mm. she leads this huge stampede. Oh, it's fantastic. Mm. So you'll be, you'll cry. <laughs> you'll cry. I'm, I'm just, I mean, I cry all the time. So yes. And how fantastic was that van? That van killed it. <laughs> it could be in any what situation. Would... It was like, like this, this, le- this tiger print or something. And it had purple on it and a big mattress on top. But you know what? Those sorts of shows all told us. What? Men are trash. <laughs> what? That the whip men are trash. Men are... <laughs> and that women should be running this fucking world. 100%. Because the dad was useless. The dad was useless. The mum was a freaking She boss. was the multitasker. Yeah. She'd be filming. She'd be repairing <laughs> the car. She would be keeping them alive. Literally. Keeping them literally, literally alive. Because they were nearly alive. dead every episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, the best, same in Rugrats. Mm. It was the, uh, the mum was what was the name? The mum was the best, and um, actually not Tommy's mum. She was a bit of a dope. Isn't there some theory going around that um, the 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 Rugrats was like what a big acid trip? For the oh mom yeah, and apparently the so. And everyone dead. was dead. Way too grim. Really grim, isn't it? Yeah, super grim. I mean, yeah, I don't not, believe that. Think about shit. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, women women should be leading the world. Rock and roll. Because we've seen what the fucking men do. Artemis. Bartiming. We are. <laughs> <laughs> um, so in this episode, Matthew and I are going to be talking you through our own experiences um, when growing up, mm-hmm. and <laughs> and talking you through how they've um, affected uh, both our mental health and our guest perception of uh, the LGBT community. Uh, we also have an interview with Phil Samba who is um, an activist. He's an all-round angel. He's an all-round angel. Who is also talking about his um, experiences. Okay, so, Matthew, do you want to go first? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, tonight, Brendan, yeah. I am. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. So, I will be completely honest. I have been... From, I haven't really considered what this episode would entail. Um, mm. Till about two days ago. And it hit me like... Uh, shit ton of bricks um because as i've mentioned in the past i can very easily just separate what i'm what i'm doing at the moment and like cut stuff off and be like yeah i'm fine which is where all that stuff is um and this is the bit of my childhood my bit of my life that is the most difficult Mm. for me i think um so (laughs) it goes right um i was brought up in liverpool in case anyone I haven't clicked on the accent just yet. <laughs> Some people haven't, you know. <laughs> um, and from the age of around seven or eight, I had a, or lived in a single parent household, as um, as that phrase goes. So there was um, my wonderful, fantastic, beautiful angel of a mother, mm. um, and brother and sister. Um, she. I just need to, to start all of this saying that she is not only like my best friend and favorite person in the whole world, but she's such an inspiration. She's such a strong, incredible person. Um, and I wouldn't be who I was without her. Uh, so the, the single parent thing came because the other side of the parental, (laughs) parental duo, um, is not worthy of a title. Um, and I think some of the words that I would potentially want to use could be a little bit extreme. Mm. Um, but also, I don't even think he's worth some of them. So that's that's my that's my bit on on that person. Mm. Um, and what I'm going to talk about is quite difficult, I think, because it's the first time I've spoken this openly about it. I've only ever told very close friends. And 
my therapist. (laughs) Um, So that's why I think I have been feeling the weight of the world on my entire body since I decided to do this. Mm -hmm. So You're very brave. um, Thank you, but... So the childhood for me came in in two parts. So kind of there is the realisation of being gay and when that hit me, which was probably when I was in nursery if not reception Mm -hmm. which when I think back to certain times in school I was like oh yeah definitely gay definitely gay (laughs) I remember um kind of it it obviously wasn't an attraction but there was a a a feeling I had about my reception teacher he was a he was a man which was also a big deal because you didn't get many male teachers in school at all but so it's kind of a, a story of that. And the second kind of prong of what I'm going to talk about in the upbringing and the childhood is about, like, the trauma. And I use the word trauma, like, as a, as a thing because that's what I've used. So in the blog that I wrote and I've shared um, since talking about episode one, I, I mentioned childhood trauma being a catalyst for my kind of rock bottom mm. um, a couple of years, or a year or so ago. Um, and... In that blog that I shared ahead of the Terence Higgins walk, um, as I say, I mentioned it and didn't really go into any further detail about what the childhood trauma was. Um, And it's something that I'm still trying to work on that I spent much of last year working on um, in counselling. So the... I've mentioned again that the charity I went to is fantastic and I haven't shared where that was. Um, That charity is called Survivors UK and that is a charity for male victims of sexual assault and rape. Um, and so that's where I was for the first quarter, first half of last year. Um, I then took a break because I needed that space because of the amount of stuff I'd gone through mm. mentally and like journeyed through to kind of connect with again. Uh, it was very, very difficult. I needed some breathing space. But as I've also mentioned, I am back on the waiting list because it's definitely time for me to return and pick some stuff up again. Um, so... The catalyst for my rock bottom um, was early on. It was January 2017. And a historic um, sexual abuse sexual abuse police case came up. Um, I had thought everything had been dealt with from, from my side and dealing with all of this. And I'd very much boxed it up and very, very, very much so disconnected from the entire thing. Um, I'd moved to London for uni, had gone through college. Like, everything was was boxed up and sealed with, with probably, like, not strong enough sellotape <laughs> because it came it came right back out again. Um, and when this happened, I'd never felt emotional, like, or what I wear. I'd never felt that feeling before, and I essentially had a phone call from a police officer in Liverpool, and the minute she asked me a question, the very first question, and I knew what, I knew what was coming, but the minute she said it, I just felt like my entire being just shatter. Um... Because all of a sudden, everything that was so hidden and so boxed down was just mm. th- thrown up all <laughs> everywhere. It was, it was everywhere. It was very difficult. Um, I was referred to emergency NHS counselling. Um, and that, I only I went for six sessions there. And that um, was to kind of assess the seriousness of how it was impacting me at the time. Um, and I was actually diagnosed there with a form of PTSD. Um, which I had, I had no awareness of. I didn't really, under- I didn't understand how that worked. I always thought PTSD was a very, um, like a more of an obvious thing that people would have. So mm-hmm. you've had something happen to you, the PTSD follows immediately, and that's that. 
Whereas because a lot of the, the memories I have had been repressed and because I purposely tried to get rid of the stuff and also repressed it, um, I didn't kind of class what I was going through as anything close to PTSD, mm. um, which he tried to explain is not how that works. It's not how the brain works either. Mm. Um, so as I say, it was probably when I was like seven or eight that what I'm talking about um, came to light, should we say. Um, and I had to step up into a role in my household that like no eight-year-old child should do. Certainly wasn't getting the pay for that. <laughs> it's one, one pay grade for an eight-year-old. Um, but a child of any age should never have to step up to do the job of a man mm. um, or of a parent because that is not how that should should go. Um, but that was what happened. And I was the eldest child and it gave me no option but to be kind of... I was always a sensitive, as we say, child anyway. Um but with everything that was happening at the time and it, it kind of it carried on for many years the fallout from all of this um, my way of dealing was just to kind of get on with it and disconnect um, which is when I'm fine was born mm. because I went through school and when everything just kind of going with stuff um, and there was there was a period in school and I don't know if it was called, I don't know if it was counselling as such but it was kind of to help it was called a quiet place and it was a room and there was like gorgeous like fluffy things and the the wall was all painted with like plants and you'd go in and try and do like breathing techniques and all these things to kind of um calm calm any worries that the kids may have and there was all various reasons for that like Mm. parents were going through divorce there was kids that had anxiety because of exams there was lots of lots of reasons for that and it was, I think it was the first time the school had done anything like that as well. So I was in a very fortunate position to be able to um, to access that. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that, that the reason I was going to that was because my parents were divorcing. Um, so the school were made aware of that and then I was kind of given assistance in that way. I also went to Bernardo's, which is another charity, um, to get support. And that led from the police case that came up at the time. So as as a child, I was... Uh, referred to Bernardo's and went through something which actually until 2017 I had completely completely forgot that that was even a part of my life mm. and when I went to recall it all of a sudden all of like I can remember the room I can remember the building it was in I remember the woman I remember what we like it all just came flooding back so so clearly and it was like my brain had just hidden it so so deep mm. which I had done with lots of stuff um, which again I just was not prepared for um, so obviously all of this is going on which which wasn't easy to be going on with anyway mm. and at the same time I was beginning not even beginning I'd already known for a while but I was kind of very much aware that I wasn't the same as people or boys the same age as me or in my class or in my circles mm-hmm. um, and I think knowing that and not understanding what it was not understanding that it was that the fact that I was gay but not um having any idea as to all of these separate feelings and how to separate them and what what anything meant. Um, it just meant that all of my childhood was was quite a confusing and intense time, um, which is the reason that I got to an age. And I think, for me, the, the, the breaking point for it and the time or when I speak to my therapist, or when I spoke to my therapist about it, me as a, as a closeted gay person and me coming out is like where my where my life kind of snapped in half mm. and then I let the other piece completely go and 
either on purpose forgot about things or repressed things and all of that part of my life was so disconnected that I can look back on that as if it's a different person mm. and then from when I came out that's then like my my now life yeah um and one of the big things that we tried to do in counseling last year was to try and reconnect these um which which was exceptionally difficult um which is why I needed to take take a bit of a break so I mean, one of the things I think is important to talk about, and so at the minute I'm reading The Velvet Rage. We both got The Velvet Rage to mm-hmm. read. Um, but one of the things that, that really hit me in there was talk of shame. Um, and spe- specifically one point about suicide um, and this thing that gay men go through. So there's a little bit of a quote that I wanted to read. Um, Even though we may not have all been suicidal, most, if not all, gay men start as this place of being overwhelmed with the shame of being gay in a world that worships masculine power. Beginning the first three stages in a gay man's life is overwhelmed by shame. Typically, the start of the journey as a gay man, it can be the most difficult and damaging. He'd do anything to not be gay and suffers with the pain of knowing that he can't change the one thing that makes him so different from other men. Um... And I just need to, I need to also say this, like, I've never since or never before had suicidal thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and whenever I've been in a dark place, I've never been this dark before. Mm-hmm. But there was a point, and I can't remember the exact age, but I, um, I was in the bath for maybe like an hour and I was just kind of thinking, I don't know what is to come, but I also know that it's not going to be easy and there may just be an easier way to sort that. Mm-hmm. Um... And I remember it being, it felt so clear and it was, I mean, looking back at it now, it's not, it's not a place that I would ever want to be in again. And it's not a place, not a place I think anyone should, should have to be in. And which is why making your childhood home for anyone listening with kids or whatever, I think making a space that makes everyone feel like they have the ability to talk about things or to feel comfortable is incredibly crucial. Um, and again, not that I was ever in a space where I didn't think that, but we didn't know any gay people as a family that I know of. Um, and I'd never, I mean, I'd never heard anything that was, would in any way signify that I wouldn't have been accepted. But when you are brought up in a world that is 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 100% straight and you're surrounded by straight ideals and straight relationships and straight people and everything, mm. you are constantly told, either either directly or indirectly, that you're wrong and that what you are or what you are feeling is wrong mm. and that you can't come out and you can't be the person that you inside know you are or are trying to be. Um, which I had then built up in so between... I came out when I was 16, 17, um, and it got to, like, boiling point for me. There was a two-week period where I'd started working in, um, as a club photographer in Liverpool. Um young. Illegally, 17. <laughs> they didn't know. Um, but I was photographing, and then where I would photograph, I met a few gay people, a few friends of mine. I would then go over to, <clears throat> to the gay clubs in Liverpool. And within the space of two weeks, I think it was over Easter, actually, I had started to get quite close to one person and a group of friends and and then all of a sudden I knew that I couldn't um keep this in anymore. So I was at college at the time and so then because I hadn't um because I hadn't actually come out in college but was was kind of being open but not and then I was doing this job where I was photograph uh, photographing 
it got to this two-week period over Easter and I was like, it was driving me insane. Like I was, I was stressed. I was getting angry. I was all of this stuff and I'd never mm. been like that before. I was like a pretty quiet, like chilled out person. And it got to a point and I was like, I need to tell my mum I'm gay because I don't give a fuck about what anyone else thinks mm. once she knows. But the biggest fear and the, I had this enormous terror this like the weight of all of this stuff just being like the last thing I want is for my mum to find out through someone else yeah and again there was she there was never any time when she would make me or there was never anything that she ever did that would make me feel like she wouldn't be okay with it mm. but I'd built up this enormous response where I would be like kicked out and she'd hate me and she didn't <laughs> want to speak to me and <laughs> I ended up staying out one night um after I'd been out I'd been at work when clubbing when back to a person's house and walked home next morning. I was like, this is the, I need to do it right now. Mm-hmm. And on the way home, I went to uh, Polly's house. So Polly is one of my best friends and Carly also another best friend, but they were both there. And I kind of turned, I text them at like 9am and was like, I need to come see her. Got to their house and was like, I'm, I'm gay. <laughs> and we all started a cup of tea and she was like, both of them were like, yeah. like what did you need to tell us (laughs) like where's the rest I was like no that's it and they were like babe we knew from the minute we met you like we both got gay relatives like it's there's not even an issue here and we all cried and whatever and I was like right we'll need to go tell me my mum Mm -hmm. walked home from theirs just in tears I was just a mess got (laughs) got home with my mum um I can't remember what she, she was. I think she was like in a bedroom or something at the point and she had the front door going. She's like, where have you been? And I was just like inconsolable. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of I was like, I need to speak to you. And she's like, you've been locked up. You've been in prison. You've been in <gasps> jail. <laughs> and I was like, I just need to speak to you. She's like, have you been, on, have you been taking drugs? Where have you been? What have you been doing? <laughs> I was like, no, no, just sit down. I just need to speak to you. I need to tell you something. Um, I was, I was a fucking mess. And she was so angry and just like, where the fuck have you been? Um, and I was like, no, I'm, I'm gay. I just see this biggest sigh of relief. <laughs> and she was like, ah, like, it's not even, what? <laughs> like, I love you. Like, that's not even a thing. Like, you know, no matter what, like, I'm going to, I'm going to love you. Just obviously not ever been in jail for drugs. But <laughs> <laughs> She's like, no matter what, like, it's not even a thing. And we hugged out and I was upset. And she was like, and why I found super interesting and I actually I spoke to her ahead of recording this episode just to have another chat with her about this sort of stuff but I was like can you just reiterate what you said that time and she said to me because I was like oh come on like surely you must have known like amongst the tears I was like surely you knew I was gay and she was like I had no fucking idea like no clue oh my god and I was like are you kidding <laughs> she's like no I just thought because of I mean because of what had happened to us as a family She's like, I thought you were just being really sensible not wanting to get into relationships. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> and I was like, no, it's because I'm a homo. <laughs> I was like, really? You didn't like when I wanted to be like a witch for Halloween every year. I like enjoyed putting witches' nails on. You know, when I was doing the Britney Spears routine in the kitchen, you didn't click on. She's like, no. <laughs> I had a chat with her this week and she was like, there was not a single minute I thought you were gay. <laughs> oh my God, that's so um, sweet. <laughs> and then I mean since then we've been like the closest of friends and I mean for the, like for a good week afterwards it was kind of like the biggest anticlimax of me <laughs> in the way that because I prepared myself for like pack me bag and storming out and you know move into the big city and all of this stuff mm. she was completely completely like there was not even an issue with it and my mind was 
set for war almost that then I became really like angry and aggressive and sure for like the week after because then I was like oh shit it's a lie mm. it, it, this is a lie like she can't be fine like she's got I am gay she must hate me or there's got to be something wrong and I was telling myself then that because there was not a big deal made about it and everything was cool that it was all a lie and, the, and then eventually obviously got over that mm. and then she's like the bloody biggest ally you can imagine she oh. has been forever um, she now follows um, Best of Grinder <laughs> on Instagram <laughs> When my mum tags me Investor Grinder memes <laughs> or I'll scroll and I'll see she's already liked it and I'm like, do you even know what that means? <laughs> um, yeah, but she has has been incredibly supportive for me forever, like my entire life. I was always closer to her generally um, than the other one. But I was, I've always been super close to her but being able to come out and be open with her mm. very, very fortunately for me has made our relationship even stronger. And... Mm. Um, which is incredible and I'm forever grateful for. Um, and I, I can't thank her enough and I think, I hope that she already knows that. But yeah, I think for me, that was kind of the, t- the two, those two strands of things dealing with. And I'll go back to, again, I, it's something I've, I'm not, I'm not that great at saying still to mm-hmm. this point. I've only ever really said it in, in the uh, counseling sessions, but the sexual abuse that I mentioned before is not, for me, the thing that affects me now. The thing that affects me is the fallout from it. Mm. And that's why I'm such a fucking mess some of the times. I'm so fucking emotional. But for me, it's the it's the, the fallout and the years that have followed and, and the impact that that had, that is the bit that most bothers me, that mm. I'm most angry about, rather than, like, the actual thing. Um... But I think, I mean, we've, you know, Boy and Boy Raised, we've we both read. But um, there's a bit at the very start, and one of the things that Gary Connolly writes is, mm. um, I wish none of this had ever happened, but sometimes I thank God that it did. And for me, um, I'm just, I am as terrible and as horrible or whatever as, as certain stuff is. Mm-hmm. I'm very much a believer in, like, making the best, like, making the most out of it and being able to make something from it. And I definitely wouldn't be the person that I am today had had stuff that's happened not happened. Mm. Um, so I guess I'm, I am grateful for that because it's allowed me to to kind of grow and develop into, into a person. The reason that I shared, or felt like sharing this, I could have um, <clears throat> skated around some of the... I could have continued to skate around and just... <sighs> It'd been like the elephant in the room and just been like, yeah, the, you know, the, the thing or whatever. But I thought, I mean, as, as difficult and as weird as it makes me feel to talk about it, if I'd have had something anywhere close to this, to be able to hear someone else talk about a similar experience, mm. I think for me, when we said about, uh, when I fucked my quote up uh, last episode about miscongeniality and being oh, girls, yeah. um, being able to like share that sort of thing or, or, hear someone else talk about it just makes it a little bit lighter mm. um, and I think I just wish that I'd have been able to to find something to connect with when I was going through all that mm. um, and I just want to say as well like I know that I've just said about not wanting to and whatever and one thing I just really want to drive home is that um, sexual assault or sexual abuse or whatever is not something to be ashamed about um, you should never be embarrassed about it because you're not the person that's done anything wrong mm. um, and it may take it may take time afterwards but 
you it's crucial that you get support um, and where possible it is crucial that you tell a person mm-hmm. who it was what it was and put the embarrassment and that deep horrible shame aside because you're not the one person that has done anything wrong mm. um, and just make sure you get the help that you need because people that like to abuse power or um, treat people in a way that the tarnishes them or, or aims to tarnish them in a way is is um completely unacceptable and it's not yeah it's not a way to go so no. you can you should never be ashamed with anything like that no bottoming bottoming we are <laughs> <laughs> hi phil hi um thanks for joining us in person thank you for having me um so just kick off. Um, so you say that you knew you were gay from the age of fourteen. So what was your first realization? This is a bit of a random one. Um, <laughs> do you remember, um, like back in like MTV's Jackass and um, Dirty oh, Sanchez yeah. and all that? It was. I was. I remember. I was watch once watching an episode of Dirty Sanchez and they were like naked <laughs> or something. <laughs> but that's like, like you know everyone has like their sexual awakening or yeah. that was mine that was not what I was during, expecting I know it's like the most <laughs> random thing but that's how it started and then it was like really I remember just being really confused yeah. and thinking like I thought being gay was a choice I thought mm. you like you decide this and mm-hmm. it's never really you're not really taught that being gay is something that is just something that you are mm. and I always thought and I think maybe coming from my background, being kind of growing up in a black African home, even though I was born here, I think we kind of have those beliefs and mm-hmm. a lot of straight people have those beliefs. And I think that's what surrounds a lot of homophobia. Mm. Do you remember what they, do, they were doing on Dirty Sanchez? So you were like, <laughs> I want to be a part of that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it was, it was specifically... Naked paintballing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Have you but, tried it since? No. Okay. No. <laughs> but yeah, it was just really random. I think that probably made it even more confusing. Yeah, because <laughs> you're like, this is a mess. Why, yeah. like, why, why is this weird feeling? Why do I find why this, sexual, why is this <laughs> turning me on? Like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, so... <laughs> But yeah, it started with that and then I just kind of kept it to myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And... Why Why did you keep it to yourself? Like, what were the attitudes of the people that you were surrounded by, your kind of family, closer friends? Ooh. Well, why? there was two things. So my I went to an all-boys Catholic school mm-hmm. in East London, and, like, all of my friends around me were, like, straight, mostly black males. Mm-hmm. So there was that. But then I also had... I came from a black African home, like I said, and um, my mum is, like, she really cares a lot about her reputation and how she's seen mm-hmm. in the community or amongst her her friends. And it's mostly friends and family. And uh, I kind of grew up going into upbringing. I grew up with this thing of I can't ever bring shame on the family mm-hmm. and I always have to represent the family and I can't, I can't do anything that you know, makes us look bad or anything. So I think it was a lot of that. Mm. On top of not knowing what was going on. 
because it's it's very confusing when you're a teenager you're kind of you're going through these things your body is changing and then you have all these thoughts and feelings and you don't know how to express them or who to express Mm -hmm. them to Mm -hmm. i never felt like i could talk to anyone about them although my sister uh she had gay friends but none of them were black so i didn't feel like i related to them yeah Mm -hmm. i felt like i was the only one so you say it was your mum's friends more so was there anyone in the family that you maybe thought there was ever a chance you could speak to about it or that you were maybe a little bit more comfortable I think I possibly could have told my sister Mm -hmm. but I think where it was the kind of thing whereas if I told my sister then it'd make everything real yeah and the other thing with my upbringing is my mum kind of taught me how to distract myself from pain and anxiety so I was going through it, but I was distracting myself from mm-hmm. it all. Yeah. So I did it so well to the point where I actually genuinely believed I was straight for yeah. a very long time. Though I knew deep down, I just kind of, I just like, I put it over there and then yeah. that was that. So yeah. Can I ask why she, why did she teach you that, how to do that? Was that, because obviously that was before you'd come out. Yeah. So you were having those feelings of anxiety before that. And she took, what was the reasons for that? Do you think it was to do with all of this kind of? I think it was, it, it wasn't, Conscious, I think it was very subconscious, and I think mm-hmm. it's how she is. I think she distracts herself from mm-hmm. what's really going on and what's happening around her. And um, she, we're, I'd hate to say this, but we're quite similar in the sense of we're both very social people. Mm-hmm. We're both always on the go. We like to be busy, and that's how we keep our minds like kind of away from anxiety and all of that. And I think I kind of adopted that from her, but I think mm-hmm. it's already inherent in me. Mm-hmm. So I think it's that. I only even really started to feel anxiety <clears throat> I only started to feel anxiety properly like last year mm. um, so do you want to tell us about from realising that you were gay you've obviously got there's quite an amount of time before you came out mm-hmm. and within that time there's obviously lots of feelings that you're going to be <laughs> yeah. going through and loneliness is a part of that because you don't feel like you've got anyone to speak to because if uh-huh. you did you'd be able to come out easier yeah. which is I think something that a lot of people go through do you want to tell us from your experience what that journey to coming out was like? Sure. Um, I think that was probably the first time I'd hit rock bottom. Mm. So uh, I just remember, like, I just went through everything on my own. Like, anything I felt, I kind of compressed. Everything that I was going through, I was just kind of acting as if it wasn't affecting me or acting as if this wasn't it. Or mm. It was just, it was quite tricky because I was like... I always thought if I do come out, then I'm going to lose all of my friends because they're not going to understand that this is not something I've chosen for myself. Mm. I always thought um, I'm the only one. I'm the only one in this school because besides maybe, I think maybe two, there was 90 boys in my year, or maybe two that were, they looked gay or appeared gay. Mm-hmm. There was not, no one came out even to this day. I don't really know of anyone in my ear that's out. So it was tricky. I just thought my family is not going to understand. My yeah. friends are not going to understand. And I just, I just sat with that. And then towards the later years of my teenage years, I, I felt a bit suicidal. And um, I just, I don't know. I just kind of kept distracting myself whenever I, it got too much. Mm. When was it you came out? I came out at 20, between ages of 22 to 24. Mm-hmm. In stages to, to In stages to friends, uh, some family members, and then mm-hmm. to my mum. My mum was pretty much the last person. Uh, is, my coming out story is really weird. She, so she was listening to like my phone conversations and um, she was asking my nan. My nan and my sister already knew at this point. 
and she kept asking my nan to ask me to, if I was gay. Mm-hmm. And then my nan was kind of like, well, if he's gay, what are you going to do? What can you do? And she was like, nothing. There's nothing I can do. Mm-hmm. So after living with all of that stuff for like 10 years, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, I can finally tell her. My mom and I are not exactly close. So I thought this could bring us together. I'm not going to tell her about like my dating life or my sex life, but it's mm-hmm. just, she knows a bit more about me. And I told her and she just didn't take it well mm-hmm. at all. Uh, the first thing she said was, can you change your lifestyle? And I hate that phrase because what yeah. straight people mean by that is anal. Mm. And um, <laughs> this, like, I think a few days later when um, some neighbours, uh, I think because it, it kind of got out amongst some friend, some friend told a friend and it, it got out amongst people. So I was mm. trying to pre-warn my mum and I was like, you know, people are starting to know. Yeah. And then she was, she said something like, um, you're disgusting and you're not normal. So those are the, like the first two things she said. What was your reaction when she said that? I think I burst into tears. And then I ended up coming out to my stepdad in the process. Because my stepdad didn't know. Yeah. Mm. But it's just annoying because I really didn't... I wasn't ready to tell her. I think she's the reason why it took me so long. Yeah. I mean, losing your friends is one thing. But I mean, mm. you don't want to disappoint your parents or yeah. your family. Yeah. So because I've been so conditioned to... I can't let my family down... Mm. I just never, I tried not to. And I just got to a point where it's like, I, once I started, cause I, I always thought I'm not going to come out until I'm dating mm. and not seriously dating, but at least seeing guys. And then mm. that's when I started when, once I started to feel comfortable sexually, that's when I thought I'd start to tell people, tell my family and just take it from there. I was doing it bit by bit. Yeah. And then, um, it just it just got really complicated, like us. It and it didn't need to be. If she didn't say I would be okay with it, I wouldn't have told her, and I would have moved out and let her deal with it in mm-hmm. her own place. And I would have moved out, and I would have been with my boyfriend at the time or whatever, mm-hmm. and let her, and then maybe do it that way. But it just I was just living in awkwardness after that. Yeah. Um. So just for context, we so the article you wrote. Yes. That um, was super fantastic. And just for the benefit of people listening, we'll be able to share that as well. Yeah. Um, so this next question is kind of focused on what you wrote in there. Um, so despite your initial plan to move away from home and come out after you'd already left, um, you've already said that you were forced to talk about it sooner. What impact do you think that had on you longer term? And did that kind of change the decisions you made after that? Um... I don't think it did because I think once I told my mum, I felt like that was the last person I had to tell because mm. I'd already told, I, I think I told my friends like maybe a couple of weeks before. So all my straight friends that I went to school with, I was worried about some of them. One in particular, um, he was Muslim and like I'd heard him say some really homophobic stuff. Mm. So I was worried about telling him, but he was fine. It took him like a couple of weeks to process it. But once all my friends knew and my nana and my sister knew, which is, the bulk of my family. I later on told my dad. But once I told my like my mum, it was kind of like, that's it. And then I started to live really unapologetically. Mm. Um, it never stopped me from telling anyone else after that, I think. Mm-hmm. So she knew. Mm. But she, I'd have to pretend in front of her friends. So that they'd ask me about, like, girlfriends and stuff. And then I'd have to just be like, I'm not seeing anyone at the minute. Yeah. Mm. So for a while, like, a long time after... Meanwhile, I'd, I'd had a boyfriend at the time. And my mum knew this. I'd have to pretend that to still be straight, <laughs> to keep up appearances, which is what I'd done my whole life. And it was just... After a while, it just got really inauthentic. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. And then I don't know what happened. I think... 
Things like social media helped. Yeah. Uh, I actually initially made a Twitter account so that I was able to express myself. And mm-hmm. I guess if there's people that are out there that are struggling to come out, I would suggest doing something like that. Mm-hmm. You don't have to have your picture up, but you can express your thoughts and your feelings. And if, you know, there's a celebrity out there that you like, you can talk about it there or you can meet other people that are like you in your city. Because I didn't know about things like dating apps or anything like that because mm. where do you learn that stuff? Yeah, yeah exactly. Did you, how about TV? Did you, when you're growing up, obviously it's quite difficult um, with representation on, on television and film and things like that. Did that worsen the the feeling of being an outsider? Definitely. Yeah. Um, I don't ever remember seeing anything black and gay when I was younger. I think there was actually, I found out that there was some stuff there, mm. but it's only like <clears throat> black gay men like that are in the let's say their 50s and 40s mm-hmm. they would have seen it back in the 90s but mm-hmm. as a like a child or a teenager mm-hmm. i wouldn't have known what stuff was out there or on tv or on yeah. the radio or on back in the day so whenever i did see gay characters they were always completely different to me mm-hmm. and like there's nothing wrong with being feminine but it just kind of forced that stereotype that to be gay you need to be overly feminine or mm-hmm. Like, I guess when you're black and gay, to be hyper-masculine hyper and to be aggressive, and I just never thought I fit in any of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's why I kind of try to be literally everywhere so that people can see that there's different kinds of gay black men. We're not mm-hmm. all the same, and we can all be multifaceted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, anyone that follows you on social media, Don't and I like say to you every, <laughs> every single day, I'm like, where do you find the hours? You go to work, you've got a podcast, you're on, you're on TV, you're doing radio at the same time, you're going to events, you're on panels. I'm like, oh my God, I'm exhausted just yeah. watching your, your <laughs> stories. You'd be surprised at how many people would say that. Yeah. Um, I guess initially a lot of my work became around HIV and like preventing it and mm-hmm. treating it especially for queer men of colour. But then I always thought what are parts of the reasons why people aren't coming out or people aren't going to get tested or people aren't starting, like, you know, they're not they're not engaging with sexual health services because they don't see themselves within yeah. them. And I guess that's how I started. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew. And I just thought I can do so much more because mm. I'm in a position now where I don't care what my mum thinks or what my mum's friends think of me. I can be myself and that can inspire a lot of people. It's, it's surprising how much just being myself has helped so many different people to mm-hmm. either, I guess, get involved in mental health or mm-hmm. get themselves tested or look into like other, you know, HIV prevention methods or start reading about different experiences and things. And it's just mad how I can do all that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So amazing. Um, I'm going to go off piece again. Yeah. <laughs> Taking the question. But I just remember um, when we went to see The Inheritance. Yes. And I think it was maybe that week you'd been on like an African news channel. Oh, yeah. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. And I remember you were telling me that story about... Well, actually, you can, you can kind of explain what the story was. Okay. But kind of, do you mind explaining how how that feels to... Because for me, and I think for lots of other white gay men especially, once you come out you kind of are out and there's no other I mean there's obviously this there's obviously resistance in, in lots of ways in lots of areas in society but generally mm. in terms of where we are it's we're pretty privileged in that sense mm-hmm. whereas you went to speak on a new channel about being <laughs> about what you can explain this book about okay. but how does that how does that feel because I think that's a lot of thing a lot of feeling that 
a lot of people will have no idea, no awareness of. Yeah. And kind of, and yeah. <laughs> okay, so it was on um, TV <laughs> on Sky, <laughs> and um, basically, like I'd already, I went on for as part of my job, and I went to talk about National HIV Testing Week. And because it was an African channel that talked about like different issues within the community and stuff, I thought, you know what, let me email the woman back and let me talk about experiences of being gay in African communities. Because I thought, I thought this needs to be talked about. I don't, I wasn't expecting to change anything overnight, but mm-hmm. I just thought it, I could start some conversations in some houses. And um, I, I went on and I was being challenged by the host like a lot. I wish I could have it back. I wish I could have, I never got to see the video back because it was live. But um, I went on and she was trying to challenge me about uh, Christianity and the Bible and she was trying to say in our community is this seen as wrong and how I I I, I was I challenged her so much. Mm-hmm. One thing she could not grasp was when I said that I was born gay. She just could not get her, hand, her head around it. But I talked about she tried to put the religion thing on me and I was like, um, my mom's not that religious. So it's not a religion thing. It's culture. Like in African culture, we've kind of been programmed to believe that being gay is a white thing and that mm-hmm. we don't have it in our communities mm. because we don't have a space for us to be comfortable for us to express ourselves and i said then we have um young teenagers 14 15 years old that are taking their own lives because they have no one to talk to mm. and then um, i got caught off guard because some people were calling in so <laughs> that was interesting um one guy called in and he was like why is this man talking about his sex life and i was like you see I said, I have not mentioned sex. Mm. You are the ones that are, are, are talking about sex. I've not, to, I'm just talking about what I'm trying to say is what you guys don't understand is we have relationships, we have mm-hmm. intimacy, we have love, just like um, straight people. Like we're no different from you in that sense. Mm-hmm. And I think I did kind of change her mind a little bit. Um, there was someone, that, uh, a couple of women called in and they were just talking about like, why is he doing this? There's children aren't like watching. And I was like, this is why. I said, you need to do yeah. this because if you don't do this, then how are we going to be comfortable with ourselves? And I I thought, I was worried. I was really apprehensive at first. And I knew religion was going to come up before I did it. Yeah. But and what my one of my friends said not to go too hard on the religion because if she knew the Bible better than me, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't actually know it that well. So she tried to say the Bible says it's wrong. And then I, I quoted it back to her and I said, actually, what it says is this. And then it says, it says something along the lines of, I'm going to paraphrase so that I'm not in trouble again. <laughs> um, something along the lines of a man who sleeps with another man is um, an abomination so then I said shellfish is an abomination lying is an abomination eating pork is an abomination and then I mentioned those things to her and I mm-hmm. said you've done those things but we don't concentrate yeah. on those things that mix there's... fabric top the aware and mix exactly. the fabric together <laughs> exactly. that and polyester mix <laughs> there's, so m- there's so many like other things that are much worse in African communities and mm. we're concentrating on homosexuality which isn't actually hurting anyone yeah and why are we so focused on this when there's so much corruption in our governments and blah, blah, blah. But I actually genuinely really enjoyed it. I was so anxious about it before I did it. Mm. But she couldn't, she she had no argument. Mm. Amazing. I think one thing that you said as well, I'm, I'm, we spoke about it and you just mentioned it now, but when people call in going like, there's kids watching. And <laughs> I think, as you said, like that's the reason you're doing it. Because yeah. even if you were heard by one single child that was like, what are these feelings? And all of a sudden they're watching the television with the mum yeah. or with the dad or with whoever and they're like 
art like and it's that representation that exactly about before and that's that's why like, I, like again why i'm everywhere because, <laughs> <laughs> because i guess i did even i i mentioned like hiv as well and i talked about um how people are getting like there was this study that came out um nam posted it, um nam at aids map they posted this thing which it showed all the countries that have homosexuality as illegal and they're the the rates of HIV mm. and they just matched up and it was just like this is the problem. So your mum, yeah. um, you say that she's been okay with your sexuality, but can you describe the impact that her reaction um had on you and maybe continues to have all your mental health? Okay. Um well I guess initially because I wasn't ready to tell her and then um it's like she put me in a full sense of security that she'd be okay and that we could improve our relationship. And then it just got much worse. So during that period, my mental health was not great. But luckily, I had a good support network around me with friends yeah. and my boyfriend at the time. But um, I guess after I moved out, I was kind of over it. I wrote her a long letter talking about just basically saying the ball's in your court. There's nothing you, like any of us can do. This is just how I am. You need to grow to accept it. But the issue was she refused to acknowledge it. Not just accept it, but just acknowledge it. So mm-hmm. it just kind of... It just messed with my head because it was like, I didn't want to tell you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, this was none of your business. You and I are not close. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Just messing up our relationship <laughs> even more. But it had, it had it really messed me up in the beginning. Um, now, I believe she's okay with it, but I'm not sure because we don't talk anymore. But it's for something separate. But... Um, I'm kind of over it. I actually feel much happier not having her in my life. And I think what in, and not going back to my culture again, because we have that kind of belief of you can't let your family down and you must always be around your family and you must always please your parents and all of that. Mm. It's really hard to cut off toxic, toxic people in your family. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like it's not the end of the world if you can make your own family and it's it if people don't accept you for something you have nothing no control over then get rid of them i think you have to have a good support network around yeah. you yeah. and if you need to do if you need to do it you have to do it mm-hmm. yeah. for your own health well thanks so much for for joining us anyway it's okay yeah. thank you for having me Bartiming, Bartiming, we are <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the stage. <laughs> You're up next, B. Yeah, I'm next. Um, so, I am from the Midlands. I'm from a town called Burton upon Trent. Birmingham. <clears throat> this bitch always introduces me as someone from Birmingham. Not that there's no shade to Birmingham. Birmingham's great. But let's get it. Facts are facts. I'm from Burton upon Trent. Um, it's a small town in the Midlands, and I guess we're known for our Marmite, where Marmite's made, mm-hmm. and uh, Branston pickle, and yep. um, something else. Oh, Cause beer. It used to be Bass, but now it's Cause Cause Light. Bought by the Americans. Maybe I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know the ins and outs. Who did the taxes? Who did the accounts? I don't know. Um, but yeah, so small. Yeah, whatever. Um, and I'm one of five children, as I said uh, last 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 episode. Um, from so from a big family. And growing up, it was I really liked having brothers and sisters because it like the house was always um, there was always something going on, and it was really. Um, 
we'd play games like um, Murder in the Dark and like we'd, there's always someone to play with so it's not like um, I was ever lonely as a kid which was really nice um, but I guess I, I kind of separate my childhood into like the before and the after stages primarily of coming out but um, but yeah so overall I think we all had a good relationship with each other we had the typical like arguments you fall out with each other and you like spill tea on someone or like <laughs> you you uh, get really angry at someone for for doing something or other um but you always forgive them because it doesn't really mean anything in the in the long run and we have such good relationships now um i love my family i think everyone's i respect them all um and yeah i was really grateful for the fact that i was kind of brought up in a in a big family i i, I really want to have a big family when i'm a grown-up mm-hmm. <laughs> um be a, be a daddy when i'm a dad yeah <laughs> um not that other word um <laughs> um so yeah the early years i was i was very effeminate from an early age there's some funny um videos of me dancing with my mum in the kitchen and i'm like going wild and throwing my hair um I might post them on Instagram if I can find the footage of it. I've already <laughs> sent it to you. And um, and really sweet. And I was able to play with, like, dolls when I was a kid. I was never made to feel like I, sh- I couldn't or I shouldn't. And that's where I kind of separate it because I guess when you're really, really young and it's kind of cute to be seen and to, to do those things because it doesn't really mean anything at a young age. Or I guess as a parent, you don't really put much weight on it because, oh, they just maybe be curious about, like, um, feminine stuff or they, they like playing with the dolls or whatever. But it doesn't really mean that they're going to be gay, they're going to be this, they're going to be that. So I guess at that stage, I was I was kind of let me... I was able to kind of run free, and I was quite... Um, I was a very free child. I, I would always play outside, and I'd always, like, be the female character, and, like, <laughs> put jogging bottoms on my head and pretend it's hair. Um, and, and then, I guess, coming out, so it was... I was, I think I was about 13 years old, but I knew obviously before that, like you said, mm-hmm. reception or whatever. Um, and what made me come out was my mum um, has this thing of like just dropping names of like girls that I might like, <laughs> um, which was really funny. And I think it's like, oh, nice girl. Or like, <laughs> yeah. he's a nice girl or whoever. Um, and I, I just got really sick of it. I was like, Oh, I just don't want to. Um, I don't want to date girls. I know, and I know that I don't want to date girls. And she needs to know. She needs to know right away. So I brought up the fact that I was like, "Yeah, mum, no, I don't think I would go out with." A and she was like, "Yeah, why is that?" And I was like, "I, I don't know. I don't know." <laughs> and then she was ironing in my room, and I was like, "I need to tell her. I just need to tell her right away." And uh, and I said it again. I was like, "Yeah, yeah." She's just really not for me. <laughs> And she's like, yeah, why? <laughs> and I was like, because I like boys. <laughs> and then I just got really awkward. And um, and she was like, okay. And then I can't really remember what happened, but she was she was really sweet about it. Um, I think she like looked around the room and was like, she told me, we can tell. <laughs> Basically, we we, no we know. It wasn't like where you were. It was like what? Um, it was. It was just like yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
And then she really sweetly offered to go and tell everyone else downstairs. Again, I was really scared of what everyone would think because although, I don't know, I never really felt um, externally that it was an issue or it would be an issue. I just, I don't know, I, I can't really remember what I, what I felt. I just knew I needed to tell her and I knew it like it, it had to be okay. Like it, it was just fine. Um my sisters were really sweet when um, that day as well. I went downstairs and they were like, they um, hugged me and they were like, yeah, it's not an issue and stuff like that. And what I guess I want to drive home is the fact that those reactions are like very rare. And it's, I was really lucky that I had that, <clears throat> had that kind of reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you need to, um, as an adult as someone who is a protector and someone who teaches you right from wrong, you need to be able to separate what you feel is what you feel is right um, and what um, what is right for the child. And I think things can get mixed up with fear and love mm-hmm. and people make choices out of fear and they kind of coat it in this thing of I'm, I'm I love you I don't want to hurt you I don't want you to get hurt so I'm going to protect you from this but I think sometimes it's quite an uneducated um choice and decision because they're doing you they can make a decision like that without looking at all the facts yeah it's without, fear of the unknown isn't it exactly so again it's the before and after so this initial coming out was fantastic and I was like, great, it's good, I'm fine. But then I think over the the coming years, um, like I mentioned before, I'm from, um, well, my mum was Catholic and we'd go to church every Sunday, went to Catholic school um, all my life and was always brought up around religion. I never really believed in it. I never really thought it was like um, the be all and end all. I just thought, this is something I have to learn for school. And my mum thinks this same thing, blah, blah. Um, but I didn't really affect, think it would ever affect me personally. Um, and the thing that got me was I was always, I was, we'd have these private chats um, as a, as kids. So like if we needed to talk about anything serious with my mum, who was the primary person we spoke to about emotional stuff and things like that, um, we'd have these private t- talks. So we'd be like, Mum, can I have a private word? It sounds like really dramatic. I was like, Mum, I need a private word. Um, Just for people who couldn't see that, that was a gorgeous yeah. hair flick as well. <laughs> there was Mom. a hair flick with that, Mum. <laughs> um, and, but we'd have these chats in the car um, where she'd kind of bring up uh, different things to do with um, being gay or, or I think HIV and... Um, just things that maybe she'd been told by her friends about the situation, maybe things that she'd um, read in the newspaper or something like that. But this is someone who was brought up in um, when it was, it was just like impossible to be gay. And like the news stories she grew up around when we were, when she was our age were the epidemic, HIV Mm -hmm. epidemic. Um, And she's only ever known, bad things to happen because of this and to add the religion thing onto it because um because of something that happened in her childhood i think um 
it just made made for a very complicated soup, <laughs> and it I didn't digest it very well. Let's say mm-hmm. that. Um, and so I was for for a good few years. I was I was told never to act on my feelings. So it was that I could be, um, I could be gay, but that I couldn't ever have a boyfriend or ever ever have like a romantic relationship, and. I think for a long time I was kind of like I would just accept it and I'd, I'd say during those conversations like yeah that's fine that's fine that's fine because I didn't want to rock the boat I didn't want to I didn't want to make things awkward or um um like there was a lot of like I said I'm from a big family so there's there's always things going on and there's a lot of other things going on with other members of the family and this was a very secondary thing to that um or I saw it as that at the time I think it's just as important now, thinking back, um, and it should have been um, dealt with differently. But um, I think, yeah, there was a lot going on, so I just wanted to make it very fine to to live and to to be around. So I just kind of accepted it. And um, for years later, I just... um, Like, our relationship had always been fine, and, like, I'd, I'd separate myself... I kind of describe it as having two versions of myself and two versions of herself. And I'd have the, the, the me that was polite, funny, cute, <laughs> to, you know, all the good things. Yeah. <laughs> um, to her. Um, and she'd have that person as well, where she'd be like um, the rest, like the, the, a fantastic mother. She was like 100% fantastic. Um, and then we'd, get in a car together and that's when the other people would come out and it'd be like or whenever we'd be alone together that's when this these other two people would come out and it'd be the the side of her that was driven by fear and the side of me that was um just really protective and like didn't want to um where it was really submissive um and i think that environment was very confusing because it was like um although i loved her and the family, I, I just, uh, I was just kind of so angry at like the fact that she couldn't see past the religion aspect and couldn't see past um, what she was like, her worries and her fears. Like I could just, I just was so angry at that she couldn't see past it and look at me and be like, okay, well, it's me saying it, not not some other person. It's me, and I'm not even acting on it at all yet. So why? Do I need to be challenged about this? These things, I didn't even know how to how to act on it. Like mm-hmm. I hadn't been like. There's nothing to tell me how to how to act in the world, but I was already being told that it wasn't an option. So I was like very conflicted, um, and I guess the years past that, we just never we just started not to speak about it, and it affected. I think. In the long run, it's affected um, how I've handled relationships and things like that. And it was only until I think I was about 22 in second year and she um, uh, were in the supermarket and she was like, oh, you can have a boyfriend now. And I was like, huh? (laughs) Huh? Now? (laughs) And she was reaching for like a a jar of olives or something. I was like, excuse me? Um, And again, I was just like, cool thanks for that um i hadn't had a boyfriend by that point still i'm just gonna say it never had a long-term relationship um 
but I was kind of like, how is it fine now? And then t- it wasn't until two years later when I was able to actually have a sit-down conversation with her and I was kind of like, how did you handle... Do you think you handled my coming out badly? And that's when we kind of got to the crux of it and I finally understood her uh, justification, which I hadn't as a kid, because obviously she you, you couldn't really... One, I couldn't articulate what I was thinking. And two... I didn't know how to argue it because I hadn't I didn't have any experience I didn't have any knowledge outside of the world so I was kind of just taking it as okay like that's fine it was mm-hmm. like uh, yeah it was kind of weird but um we're we're in a really good place now um I've never been more happy with her and we're completely different people um she no longer thinks that way and um I think we're um, very strong. Mm -hmm. We're very honest with each other. And it's a relationship that I'm really lucky and proud to have. If I had any advice to give my younger self now, it'd be one, um, maybe open up to brothers and sisters and actually get their um, honest thoughts about it. But I do know that when I was a kid, I was so in my own head Mm -hmm. that I couldn't... Like it was, it was really hard to even talk to her about it. So to talk to anyone else, it would have been super difficult. Um, if um, I had access to a phone now, and so if I was a child right like this, this age where social media was um, was super big, and I could look at other people's lifestyles, um, I'd probably maybe give Switchboard a ring because mm-hmm. now that I know the work that they do, they can advise on certain things. I'd also advise parents listening or or um, to call switchboard if you're struggling with um how to deal with your child coming out as whoever they are gender identity or sexual identity wise because i think you can't really make a decision on um your child's lifestyle unless you have all the information Mm -hmm. and i don't think even then you really have the right to to um direct either way unless they're a murderer <laughs> or, or a, yeah, like a serial killer rapist I don't think you have the right to deter them from being themselves so um, get educated um, and just look at them in the eye and just be like that's your child then it's not anyone else it's your child they um, have good intentions hopefully <laughs> Um see them for who they are and yeah let yeah. them let I, them flourish i think it's important as well to say that the smallest little pieces of acknowledgement make such a big difference mm. it's not like and this isn't just for parents this is for siblings for friends for colleagues for anyone um the smallest little acknowledgement of support mm. you may not think is a big deal but it makes such a huge difference mm-hmm. um you know, we're not asking you to lead bloody the pride parade and <laughs> <laughs> like wear bad. Like, it's not even that. It's just no. the kind of I'm here to speak to, or yeah, like I love you no matter what. Or mm-hmm. it's just the small things that make the biggest impact. Yeah, and I guess yeah, unconditional love. And I think although you may know in your heart that it's unconditional love, and you know that if it got to the extremes, it wouldn't be that way, but it shouldn't have to get to the extremes for, mm-hmm. for you to wake up and realise the harm you're doing mm-hmm. to your to your child if 
you are making a decision where your child's been your child has been honest with you and said this is what i feel this is who i am you can't then turn it around and say okay you can do this but mm-hmm. and it needs to be under these certain rules and these certain circumstances these circumstances um it's a very complex situation and i think a lot of people some people might not agree with what i've said about that but i know the damage the long-term damage that something like that can have um, on your mental health and on how you interact with people in general. Um, I see the have seen in the past the gay community as this other place that I didn't really feel I needed to be a part of or wanted to be a part of because of the way I was spoke, the gay community was spoken about to me. And I think... Um, it would have been a lot different if I was given access to certain um, places, certain communities, when I was feeling those things, maybe when I got to the age of 16 or whatever, or when I was, I guess, the more mature age, I guess, in inverted commas, um, taken to those places. I think then it would have been a lot easier to kind of think, okay, well, these are my people. These are, these are people like me. Um, full stop and maybe I'll be maybe I'll learn something else um also I feel like um family is seen as this thing where you have you have bonds that matter and they sometimes can be seen as the only bonds that matter whereas I think it's really important to know and to realize that um family is anywhere you feel at home which is very corny to say and if you don't feel at home in your own home (laughs) then you need to find it somewhere else Mm -hmm. and you need to find um people that um that love you no matter what and celebrate you for who you are Mm -hmm. amen we are So next week? No. No, no. Two weeks, yeah. <laughs> Get ahead of yourself. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the next episode is called Education. Honey. Um, but very obviously about education. No. Um, yes. <laughs> so it's something we didn't touch on too much today. Because um, obviously education is a crucial part of growing up. Oh, yeah. But that that deserves a whole episode of its, of its own. Yeah. So... Um, in that episode, we're going to be um, speaking to a fantastic, incredible, inspirational person. Um, we'll share a little bit more closer to the release date on mm-hmm. that one. Yeah. Um, but we're very excited to be speaking to them. Yeah. Um, if you've been listening to us and you've enjoyed what you've heard, <laughs> uh, appreciate what you've heard, yes. um, please do leave us a rating and a review on um, Apple Podcasts. Very um, much appreciated. Yeah, love you lots. Um <laughs> And don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, at Bottoming Pod. Mm-hmm. But if you are feeling like you want to give us a bit more of a, an in-depth message about, um, well, talk about anything you want, really, but sharing your story, mm-hmm. um, talking about um, an episode that might have uh, got you thinking, then um, send us an email to bottomingpodcast at gmail.com. So until then... <laughs> You're doing amazing, sweetie. You are doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> 
Lots of love. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.